Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. The hockey team that we talk about has not lost since the last time we talked about them. The Blue Jackets have won all four of their games last week and are one of the best stories in the NHL. We'll talk about how they're doing it and what's ahead for what has become a really, really fun season. I am Ryan Real. Joining us for this week, we've got Elaine Shercliffe. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Ryan. And we've got PD. Hey, PD. Hey, Ryan. Well, guys, this should be a fun one. The CBJ have been one of the best teams in the league since early December and have played themselves right back into the playoff picture, thanks in part to a five-game winning streak led by one Elvis Merzlikens. Elvis has been unreal uh, with three shutouts in his last four starts, boasting the third-best save percentage in the NHL, and he earned the NHL's second star of the week on Monday. I mean, can we just talk about Elvis? Is that (laughs) fine? Yeah, Elvis has been... He's been outstanding, there's just there's no amount of superlatives that capture how great he's been in net. You can tell that he he's gaining confidence with each additional game. And what I love is just how demonstrative he is after games. Like each win, even as you know, it's kind of become old hat for him, right? But he mm-hmm. is still so excited at the end of each win. And that's just I think that's infectious. You can tell the team is feeding off of it. You can tell that the team is confident in front of him. Uh, obviously, the fans are loving it. You get people dressed up in, you know, Elvis Presley <laughs> costumes at games and, and Nationwide Arena blaring, you know, Elvis's best hits after after wins. And uh, it, it's just it's really, really exciting. And yeah, it's crazy to think that, you know, here Corpus Allo was named to the All-Star team and, you know, three weeks later, it's, he's almost an afterthought, right? Like, this is, mm-hmm. this is Elvis' yeah. show at this point. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm glad he was the second star, though, just because the first star of the, tends to have, like, the bad luck after that, that curse. Um, <laughs> but I'm just really glad he was second. It, I haven't been able to watch many of the games because the Monsters had six games in nine days. Yes. So maybe That's not nice. Rough. No, it's not nice. <laughs> but... I've been able to watch some clips, uh, watch half of like a half of the game because the West Coast made it a little bit easier. But he does just seem really confident. But what I like is he seems confident in the defense in front of him. Before he used to 
smack him, push him out of the way, and he's not doing that now. Like, he fully trusts whatever the defense is doing. They might be standing to his left. He's not pushing them out. Mm-hmm. He's letting them stay. Um, mm-hmm. I think that speaks to just as he's gotten to play with them um, and he's been succeeding, I think he realizes that he doesn't have to do it on his own. And I think part of that's because he had not the best set of defense when he was overseas, so he was doing a lot of it on his own. And here mm-hmm. he realizes he doesn't have to. Right, yeah, especially with a system that's so, A, such a good defenseman around him, and then B, the way they're, they, the way they hinder shot quality has really you know, helped. It, it's helped all three goalies at this point, but definitely Elvis. And I think that they have adjusted to him as well. Mm-hmm. They understand the way that he plays, and they understand that he is... You know, he plays differently than Corpusalo does. And so I think as they've gotten used to him, they know what kind of moves he's going to make. And so they're able to give him the space that he needs. And also, I think the, one of the things that has stood out a lot about his game is his rebound control is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very, very deliberate on his part, uh, the way he positions himself and the way that those rebounds go. You know, he's not giving up these juicy rebounds, these second chance opportunities. Teams just are not, they are not getting many quality looks and they're not getting many quality second looks on him. Uh, And that's a case too, where I think the team knows where those rebounds are going to go from him and Mm. they're positioned to get those rebounds and get the puck back up ice the other way. And so that, that's been really great to see. So my thing with Elvis, and I was thinking about this after the game on Saturday, is I think Elvis... I think if you pictured yourself as an NHL goalie, you would be doing all of the things that Elvis does, right? <laughs> like he's celebrating after wins. He's giving it to Jody on the bench with the Gatorade bottles. He's praising his teammates effusively. He's praising the fans. If like you had to create the perfect dream scenario for yourself as an NHL goalie, you would be Elvis right now. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can relate to that and, and are loving that. And the other part of that is, I mean, it goes both ways, but from what I did not, I was not able to go. I don't live anywhere close to Nationwide Arena. But from what I've heard that the energy in there and the atmosphere, and yeah, it comes from winning a boatload of games in the past month and a half. But also to have a guy like Elvis that is so magnetic and energizing and everybody just loves immediately, that kind of dynamic personality. I mean, it's a hockey culture thing to where you have guys who just kind of do the cliche answers and, and stock answers. And this is a team that has fun with Felino and Atkinson and PLD. And we know that, but to have a guy who's so demonstrative and so, I mean, he's also, you know, uh, European and he's got that flair and he drives a sports car and he's got <laughs> tattoos, like all of that. It's just, it's, it, if you were trying to make a guy that, that a marketing team would love or that would get fans in the building, it's Elvis Merzlikens right now. It totally is. You're 100% correct. He's just so, you're just drawn to him. The moment he opens his mouth, whether it's good or bad, <laughs> yeah, attention is always on him. And it's it's great, especially when you're trying to market the team outside of just Columbus. People from around the whole entire league are talking about him. And the fans are definitely eating it up. And when you hear people who have covered the team, like opposing Opposing writers who have covered the team and have said things about the fans not being like the loudest or Mm -hmm. don't always want to give Columbus their 
credit. Even on the road, they're saying that fans that come on the road are just insane in a good way. And that kind of energy is what this organization needs to really um, continue to show that they belong in the NHL and that they can sustain this fandom because you know what? The fans were still insane when this team was crap. (laughs) Now it's just heightened that they're good, which no one probably thought was going to happen. Everyone started (laughs) getting injured. (laughs) Yeah. I think the, the fans certainly made a good showing on that West coast trip. And the thing is those fans didn't make that trip just because the team was on a hot streak. You know, they would have bought those tickets and their flights and their hotels, you know, well in advance, as soon as the schedule came out, even though, you know, people were not expecting as much from this season. But these are Jacks fans. They love their team. And, oh, hey, we get a chance to go out to California and Vegas and and get to see our team play like, hey, why not? You know, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, this is a fan base that will definitely travel to see their team play. You know, we don't have as many raw numbers as other teams, but the people that are Jackets fans really love their Jackets. As for Elvis, he has he's definitely won me over. Uh, my position on him has evolved over the season. You know, back in the spring, I, I understood why he signed the ELC rather than a, you know, tryout contract. But I, you know, I really wanted him to get a chance to play in Cleveland first, mm-hmm. you know, to get that taste of North American ice. You know, I didn't want his first taste being you know, NHL action. And then I was disappointed with, you know, not getting the results in in preseason. And then his first few starts, uh, you know, in the NHL, he was struggling. You know, he wasn't getting the wins. I felt bad for him because there were some games where he played well enough to win, didn't get the goal support. But other games where he just like, oh, yeah, this, you know, he's still adjusting to the game. And then meanwhile, you know, Scorpsalo, who's been around for a while, has put the work in. And then it was really rewarding to see his game start to take off, get that all-star honor. That was cool. So Elvis had a lot to do to, to make up that ground just in my mind. The first step to winning me over was his pads. So having those blocker pads that have the skyline on them, that is really cool. They were so <laughs> extra. A, they were so extra, and I love it. It's a great, great way to win over the fans and to really embrace, like, here – I'm in Columbus now. I want to be part of this city, this community. And that's, you know, that's the draw for me as a fan is the team is a representation of the community. And so when players on the team also embrace being part of that community, these guys that say, hey, I want to stay here after I'm playing and I want to raise my family here. And I love going out, you know, taking advantage of all the things there are to do here in Columbus like that. I appreciate that. So that was the first step for Elvis. And then. Yeah, as he's now gotten a chance to play and and when the team really needed him to step up, you know, because Corpy had been playing so well as that streak got started and that injury could have completely derailed it. Mm-hmm. But instead, Elvis steps up and to have that first win come against Bobrovsky yeah. is I mean, that's you cannot write that story any better. And and then, yeah, it's just the his excitement is great just to see him smile as he's interviewed after the games like he is just he's so pumped up and uh it's it's just great to see uh and then and then here and i think it's spreading to uh matisse kivletics yeah <laughs> his, oh my gosh with his love, win against new york i love that the three goalies combined make like 20 percent of what bob makes 
<laughs> yeah, it's like three million and change. And uh, <laughs> okay, it, I guess it's like 30%. <laughs> but yeah, but it's still really cheap for we have the second best save per second best five on five save percentage and like third best overall save percentage in the yeah. league, which is not what anyone expected uh, before the season, either in the national media or <laughs> let's be honest, among Columbus Blue Jackets fans. Sure. Yeah, no, we said it. And one thing about Elvis, and I know we've talked about the not talking to the media thing, but but Brian Hedger posted some information on Sunday about what Elvis was going through at that time. And it wasn't just the media he didn't he didn't want to talk to. He didn't want to he didn't talk to his mom, he didn't talk to his brother, he didn't talk to anybody, he didn't use his phone. And and what struck me was the quote that he said, I wanted to focus because I understood this is my could be my last chance, and I had to take it. So with that information and knowing what we know about his his mental state then to see what he's done and to see now that he's having the fun that he wants to have and, and the way that he is able to find success through having fun is what he said. It's just, God, it's perfect. Right. Yeah, and because, you know, he went through some hard stuff there at the start of the season. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. You know, to mm -hmm. be coming over to a new country and then to be adjusting to a new league that's the best league in your sport mm -hmm. and – and then to be in such a different role than what he's used to, where, you know, he's been the guy in Lugano for all these years, a star goaltender there. And now he is a backup and he's getting shelled and he gets to see the coach basically lose confidence in him. Right. Mm -hmm. By the way, by the fact that Corpus Allo started so many games in a row, you know, that's, that's essentially a message towards him saying, like, I just don't feel comfortable with Elvis yeah. playing, you know, and, and that's got to be so hard. It's just sit there on the bench game after game and not get to play. You know, a player wants to play and a skater can still get some shifts game to game. A goalie can't do that. Right. So, yeah, that's a lot of pressure on him when he does finally get that chance. And it's great to see him completely make the most of it. Definitely. So happy for Elvis. And we have some more players who have actually played for the Blue Jackets in the past, in the past week that we're going to talk about when we come back from a break in just a minute with more Canon Cast. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back, and two players last week returned from injury and had some big first games in Oliver Bjorkstrand and Cam Atkinson. How important do y'all think they were last week in their returns? Oh, this is absolutely huge um, because I feel like the uh, the offense has been somehow they've still managed to get goals in these wins. But it hasn't been consistent goal scoring. 
and it doesn't feel like it's been sustainable offense. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of these games where it seems like there's large stretches where they're not controlling play in the offensive zone. And so getting back to dynamic elite goal scorer types in uh, Atkinson and Bergstrand is huge. I was looking at a chart that Sean Tierney posted, Charting Hockey, showing the uh, expected goal differential over the course of the season on like a five-game rolling basis. And you could see at the start of December that it was going way up, right? Mm-hmm. And then at some point took an immediate sharp downturn that has been since then. Even as the team continues their streak, the expected goal differential is going way down. Now, obviously, part mm-hmm. of that is they're winning because the goaltenders are playing above expectation. But that also shows that the expected goals on offense was going way down. I've since uh, Atkinson and Bjorkstrand both got injured. That's when that downturn happened. And when they were both out of the lineup, this team mm-hmm. was averaging less than two goals at five on five per 60 minutes of five on five play. Uh, It's like third worst in the league in that stretch. And that's not good. But then it's really uh, refreshing to see these guys come back. There's no rust there. Uh, Hmm. Somehow they they recovered fully and they're good to go, you know, because both were playing really well right before they got hurt. And so here we got Atkinson, you know, with goals in his first two games back. And then Berkshire on his first game back, he scores the only two goals for the team. Uh, And that's just, that's really great to see, uh, That'll certainly boost those guys' confidence uh, as they're coming back from injury. They have to feel like they're 100% and they're going to get right back in it. It's got to help the team to know, all right, these guys can uh, can give us that little boost that we need. I think what helps too is both of them are talkers, whether it be their mouth or their body language. They communicate really well with others on the ice, and I think that helps bridge the gap when you're changing lines or – you know, sometimes a winger gets off, a winger gets on, and so you have like a mixed line there for a little bit. When you have people that communicate really well, it tends to be able to continue the play a little bit better, and both of them are really good at doing that. Obviously, Bjorkstrand <laughs> was a big piece to the team because he came back and scored two goals in one game. But Cam, I wasn't sure what would happen when he came back. And in his first game, I was like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do well? Is he going to screw it up? And he did it. He did well. <laughs> so so I wish I wish I could have watched those games more in depth um, than bits and pieces because I have a feeling there was a lot of really fun stuff that happened with both of them on the ice that we haven't seen in a bit. I could be wrong. You guys could tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It, and for Cam, you know, he talked about that, that, on his first shift back against uh, Carolina, he got an assist <laughs> on an Emil Bemstrom goal. And it was a really nice play on Cam's part. He you know, got the puck there on the blue line, and he held onto it for just a beat. There was just enough time for Bemstrom to get open, and he was able to hit him in stride with a perfect pass. And it was just the kind of really crisp passing and good shooting that we haven't seen in the streak. There hasn't been a lot of skilled scoring. Well, those guys were out, you know, so it's nice to have that kind of high level play. And uh, I think we're going to need that going forward because as good as the goalies have been, and I still I don't expect them to fall off completely, but you have to think that there's going to be some bumps in the road 
and maybe a couple some games where we have some lapses on defense. And so we're going to need the offense to step up from time to time. We're going to need to win some high scoring games and having Atkinson and Bjorkstrand gives us the ability to win those kind of games that I don't think we had with them out. Right. And the other thing too, is the better your goalie, the more well-known your goalie is, the more a team um, will study you. So they will find the weakness. One of these teams will find Mm -hmm. the weakness that even we don't know is a weakness. Even maybe that goalie doesn't know is a weakness, but there is one person on the team and their job is to watch the films until they find the crack. So that may happen soon. and, And that is why the offense needs to pump it up. A little bit, not as much as they needed to earlier this season. But. <laughs> so you're saying just start Kiev Linux because there's no tape on him in the NHL. Exactly, that's fine. I, you know what? <laughs> I went off the grid yesterday, pretty much, so I could spend some time with my friends. So mm-hmm. I missed him starting. I, I'm kind of bummed about that because I really wanted to see him succeed. He is he struggled a bit this season, so I was surprised when they brought him up instead of Thavalainen, but he apparently, according to what people have said, even from Rangers fans, he played really well for someone who was starting in their first game who had never seen NHL ice before. He looks surprisingly calm out there. Did he? So that's the thing. Thavalainen is the calm one <laughs> on <Ooh>. the Monsters <laughs> team. And Kid Lennox would have like moments of that, and that's why I was concerned from last year to this year he seemed to not be as calm as he once was playing I don't know if it was because of the pressure there was for that beginning of the season the rotating the every other game you know Brad wasn't going to be the starting netminder the only way Brad was going to be in net it was if like you know someone got taken (laughs) and then someone played too much I think that him going up top made him have to look at himself and say, I deserve to be here. Because I felt like he's a very humble goalie and humble in the sense of like, not saying that he doesn't deserve, like he never said that he didn't deserve it, but maybe there was just like that sense of, do I deserve to be here? Does that make sense what I'm? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So to hear that he was confident out there and relaxed is actually, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal for him. And that's really exciting, and I'm super excited for him. Yeah, no, I'm, and I'm sure he was probably, like, screaming internally <laughs> as the game started, you know, because, you know, not just to be making your NHL debut, but to be making your debut at Madison Square Garden, right. you know, one of the most iconic <laughs> sports venues in the world, and against the Rangers team with a lot of, uh, you know, that's been scoring goals in bunches, and with a guy like Artemi Panarin taking shots against him, you know, so I'm, I'm sure that he was very nervous coming into it, but he just... He, he didn't show it with the way he played. He wasn't right. flopping around in the crease or anything like that. Uh, I think he he trusted his defense. And the defense, I think, was really stepping up because they wanted to help him have a good game. Right. You know, so they limited a lot of shots early on. And I think that helped him settle into it. And I was glad to see him get a chance to play. Yes. Because he's been in the organization for a few years. Obviously, last year, you know, he got sent down to the ECHL a few times. And... You know, I, I never thought that he had much future in this organization necessarily. I, you know, I think he was a primarily a depth signing, but but I like that they had to call up someone to back up Elvis 
And so it might as well be him because he's put in the time in the organization. So he might as well collect some NHL paychecks right. <laughs> while he's on the <laughs> NHL roster. And here, you know, he gets a shot to to play a game at the NHL level. And, you know, if, you know, if this may is it for him in the organization, he signs elsewhere this summer, at least he's got some tape now and some other teams might give him a look, you know, so it's nice for him to have that opportunity. I also want to say that I think you need to give a lot of credit to the goaltending coaches throughout the organization. Yes, people. Uh, Okay, I have to say this. I saw earlier today, someone was like, you have to give like all this credit to Manny Legacy. And you know what? You do have to give a lot to him because he has worked with Matisse even in the offseason. But Mm -hmm. Brad Thiessen is a coach, too. (laughs) And he worked so hard with these guys. He worked. I mean, he worked with Elvis. He worked with when Elvis came down. But he worked so hard with Matisse these past years. And for him to not, people to not talk about him and not give him credit is so wrong (laughs) because (laughs) he has put so much into helping these guys. And then to have him also as their quote unquote, like co-worker, I think also made it better because he could then show them and Mm -hmm. show them and say like, remember I said this in practice, well, this has happened in the game and he can pull up films from when they were on the bench watching him. So a lot of credit needs to go to Brad, but I'm obviously not everything because at the end of the day, it falls on Matisse to soak that in. But yes, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's great. No, I, I, I was curious to know. Yeah, exactly. What, what Brad had been doing there as the, as the, the goalie coach uh, with the monsters and, and, uh, and then, you know, Jim Corsi as well as the sort of goalie development coach. So he's obviously been, monitoring Elvis over in Switzerland the last few years, as well as probably checking in on the monsters. So it, it, it speaks a lot to the, the way the organization is structured. Right. It's that deep. it's deep goaltending, um, not just in the sense of players, but I don't mm-hmm. know many places that have such a deep goaltending coaching staff and maybe they do, but to have like Brad and Corsi and legacy Manny. And like, I think there's another one in there. How many people have that? I don't know offhand. I know that some teams have like a, a a goalie coordinator that oversees the entire organization. And then they've got some individual coaches at each team. But yeah, it's nice to see. And it's good to know then that if injuries happen or if free agency departures happen, that they're able to plug guys in and bring guys up a next step up in the organization. Uh, that gives a lot of, you know, security to the team to know that they've got the, that stability and no, no matter which player is in there. And I, I think it it reinforces Yarmo's decision to, you know, not overpay to keep Bob. Right. That, you know, as you say, you know, we can spend 33% of that cap hit and get, you know, the same or better production. Yeah. Uh, it's really great. This whole thing is proving that Yarmo knows a lot more than a lot of us give him credit for, <laughs> <laughs> including myself. <laughs> well, I do want to talk about that team that the Jackets called everybody up from and are now just now sending people back to. But I do want to say one more thing about Cave Lennox. If you have not seen the Cappy presentation after Sunday's game where Cam gives it to Matisse Cave Lennox, there's a, there's a part at the end right before he's about to finish changing where he like looks back around the locker room one time and he just gets like the biggest smile <laughs> on his face. It's so heartwarming. It's so 
go check it out if you haven't seen it. It's I watched it like a million times, just those last like five seconds, because you can really <laughs> see how much it means to him to be in this organization for, for as long as he have to finally get that call up to get that win. It's um, it's something special. So check that out. Also, big shouts to the country of Latvia. Yeah, give them a quick <laughs> plug before we <laughs> move on. Elaine, we're going to talk about the monsters. They split both of their games last weekend, beating Rochester in a shootout before falling to Utica. Good for them to get a win. But this is a team that's that's seen quite a bit of its talent head down Interstate I-71. Yeah. It was um, a tough road trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they did mm-hmm. the whole six games in nine days on the road. They had a, three games in three nights in three different cities, which meant they spent a lot of time on the bus. <laughs> They're not... so. Sometimes the score and the way that the game was lost is not indicative at all of the talent that they have down there. Some of the games, okay, like that was it the Flyer, not the Flyer, the Phantoms game was lost. It was, yeah, it was 0-0. And then in the last four minutes, maybe, that they let up two goals. And they mm-hmm. won 2-0. to zero. And they were on, penalty. they came right after a penalty after we killed a penalty, but so the the momentum was in their favor. They're playing a lot of their games well for the first period, the second period, and then the third kind of gets a little wibbly-wobbly. I don't, mm. don't know how else to explain that. Yeah, they only allowed 16 shots in that Lehigh Valley game. Right. They, the defense has been really good at clogging the lanes. The forwards have been really good about not letting the puck get into the neutral zone like from when they're shooting. So they're picking up the rebounds. It's staying in the offensive zone. They're just either not getting it to, to be able to score, get, get, get past some of these goaltenders. I mean, Utica is on like this hot streak and granted they lost. They did not play well. Dave Alinen was not good at all, which is very rare for him. He had to have been tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they were just all tired. And, you you know, they didn't allow Justin Bailey of Utica to score a hat trick or even score. I don't even think he had a point in that game. And he had, had three hat tricks in four games. So <laughs> in the, so the fact that they were able to shut down Justin Bailey is, even though they lost six to two, is still a really big deal. Yeah, I, I have a lot of faith that this team is going to turn around. I don't. Getting into the playoffs is probably not, it's like a dream, uh, just because the North is so stacked and the North is doing so well. And granted, we're in seventh out of, we were in eighth and then seventh. But right now, I I think they're, I mean, like Coach Eve says, the main thing is the process and the process is getting these boys prepared for what they're going to do up top. And they're going up top and they're doing well in the jackets. So in my mind, uh, it's a successful season, even though the standings doesn't show it. Sure. So, Elaine, I had, I had some questions about about the monsters and this stretch they've been on. Uh, so you mentioned that they've had the the rough third periods, and, and do you, do you think that is a fatigue issue? I do because there were so many games where they were playing with ten forwards or eleven mm. forwards, or um, a defender would go down. And they would have 10 forwards and only five defenders on the ice. And so after a while, that gets draining, I think. And some of these guys haven't played much. Like Brett Gallant 
is playing mm-hmm. ev- every game during this, and he's taken face-offs, and he, I mean, he's doing really well on the face-offs, and so is Maxime Forche. But these are guys who, their stamina is having to build up over each game, and I think a lot of them are just tired. Okay, so, so do you think it's more of the, the lack of depth that's causing that than, say, the fact that they were on a road trip? I think it's the combination of both. Okay. Because they're on the road trip, and there's no one to sub in for anyone. Yeah. The other question I had was about how are the so obviously they've lost a lot of players to Columbus, but I feel like when I look at your recaps, I'm not seeing a lot of good things from the guys that I would expect good things from that are still there, like Sherwood, Scott, Turkoff, Fix Wilansky, guys like that. How how are they playing? So sh- We'll start with the not so good, and then we'll work our way to the good. <laughs> uh, Sherwood, he, there is clearly a reason why they sent him down, why they didn't um, even think about keeping him up there. He's still struggling on the fundamentals. His fundamentals are just not there again. That was part of the reason why he got sent down to the ECHL, was to work on his fundies and to become a little bit stronger in the sense of like hitting people. Well, I mean, we don't have to worry about that with him anymore, (laughs) (laughs) but he's taking penalties at the wrong time. They're cross checking penalties. Like they're very aggressive penalties that are being taken in the last half of the third period. So when you really need momentum on your side, that's when they're being taken by him. Justin Scott is actually doing really well. I, I, I really need to do a State of the Monsters address so I because hmm. st- stats wise it's not showing up. <clears throat> He's stepped into like the leadership role a lot, and he, I mean, he struggled on the faceoffs, which he used to be really good at, but he's taken on this role of. He's a defensive forward. He's taken that back on again because we have lost some of our good D up top, especially with losing Adam Clendenning. His role changes with... So when Clendenning is there, he's more of a forward forward, an offensive forward who gets in the corners in the O-zone and sets plays up and sits in the crease if he needs to. When Clendenning is not there, he is like preventing people from getting out of the neutral zone He's chasing them down in the D zone. He's clogging up the lanes. He's becoming a second goaltender. He mirrors the goaltender a little bit, kind of like what Anton Carlson was doing. So he's versatile, but it's hard to put a stat on that, and it's hard to write about that in a game recap when it changes from person to person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Calvin Turkoff is actually doing really well. He's been... I think he's on he was on a point streak there for like four or five games. He had like a point per game uh, over five games. He had a four game point streak. He has been really under the radar. He's great with Adam Clendenning though, because Clendenning just fires him off from the point and he stands near the crease and he shoot he either like shoots the puck to to Clendenning from below the goal line and then shoots over to the crease and then Clendenning one times it down and he pops it into the net or he passes it like deflects it over to someone who can pop it into the net. It's actually really, I I love that kind of play. That's so good. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Calvin has really come in his own. 
I know for a while there, he really wanted to be like first line, second line, but he works so well with the third and fourth lines. He just works so well and he can fly under the radar. You know, like when someone's a first liner, they have their eyes on them all the time, but they kind of take for granted the third and fourth line. And that's kind of what it is. When, when people take Calvin Turk off for granted, I think he thrives on it because <laughs> when they're not paying attention to him, he's like, oh yeah, well, you're going to pay attention to me now. <laughs> scores. So was, who was the other one? Did you have another? Fix Wolanski. Oh, Fix Wolanski. Um, he, he's, he's like a teeter totter in the game. He'll be doing really well. And then he'll turn a puck over along the boards and he can't chase some, he, I don't, his speed is there, but it's also not there. He can't always chase someone down to go, get his turnover. Um, but he also forces turnovers. So it's the good and the bad, they even themselves out. So if he starts doing a little bit more good, I'll have a little bit more good to say about him, but he's really infectious. His attitude is so he's a Nathan Gerby. He grew up watching Nathan Gerby. He grew up modeling okay. himself after Nathan. He's, he, he does play very similar to him um, with, uh, you know, Nathan makes less mistakes, but that's probably because Nate has been in the league for a really long time. He's been playing for a while. Right. So I was going to say, is that, is that a, you know, are there rookie issues yes, with him? rookie issues. It's okay. not like anything that's not fixable. Um, that's why I don't really talk too much about his mistakes because they're, it's like rookie moves and he'll work mm-hmm. them out. And coach Eves has already been working on them. So it's, it's something I don't want to belabor because, I don't see the point in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the Monsters will play the next nine games at home. Thank at God. Home. Yeah, they are at home <laughs> until Valentine's Day. And a couple of those games will be on Sports Time Ohio, including this Friday's game against Toronto. So if you can't make it up there, check them out. Cleveland Monsters, they're getting players back. So. Thank God. <laughs> and you can, of course, read everything about the Cleveland Monsters on our website, jacketscanon.com. Thanks to Elaine Shirkliff's tireless work. Thank you, Elaine. You're welcome. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are just about out of time. Let's go around and do some final thoughts. So was it the, it was the, either the Carolina game or the Devils game. We were in Slack and everyone was telling me about how bad the Blue Jackets were playing because of how many shots were being taken. And I kept asking a billion questions <laughs> and PD finally was like, here, go to natural stat trick. And he kind of explained some stuff to me. And so now I am slightly obsessed with naturalstattrick.com. I think it's a very good tool if you're trying to see the game from a different perspective than just like as a an eye test kind of way. And it's not just like the Corsi or anything like that. They also have face-offs percentages and hits taken, shots blocked. And from there you can kind of see like, okay, so they have like 50 shots on goal, but we weren't hitting anyone really much. And we were taking the hits and our face-offs were not good, which, you know, once you put that kind of momentum right off the face-off, sometimes a team, it's hard to squelch that fire. So it was a very, it's a very interesting tool if you're looking for really anything. You can see turnovers and and shots blocked. I just, I love it. I love it now. And I recommend that everyone that wants to get a deeper understanding of a team other than just the, 
Corsi and all that, check it out. And the shot map is so pretty. Like, it's yeah. <laughs> it is so pretty. The heat map is so pretty. And if we win the Stanley, if the Jackets win the Stanley Cup, I want a shirt that is just like the heat map of where like we took all of our shots from. <laughs> like that is <laughs> and people will be like what's that blob on your shirt and I'll be like the Stanley Cup baby <laughs> <laughs> that's the tattoo you'll get you know how yeah. sometimes like football fans get the play they ran or whatever you'll just get the big old shot chart that will be my first tattoo it will be <laughs> it will be the heat map of the Stanley Cup win <laughs> <laughs> PD do you have a final thought I do and so it is a non-hockey final thought it's about Uh, Major League Baseball and their response to this cheating scandal involving the Houston Astros. Uh, There's also an investigation going on into the Boston Red Sox, who employed Alex Cora, who had previously coached for the Astros. Um, So it's it's all connected. And there have been three managers to this point that have lost their jobs as a result of their involvement. But it's still not enough. There's a $5 million fine levied on the Astros. But Five million dollars is a drop in the bucket compared to the revenue that they bring in, uh, as well as the revenue that they made when they made that World Series run from, you know, ticket sales and concessions and all that sort of thing, merchandise. So I don't know that there has been enough done by Major League Baseball to deter teams from trying the stuff in the future. The report also said that the players were heavily involved in developing these sign stealing schemes, uh, and yet no disciplinary action is being taken against them. And I know that the Players Association is probably one reason why they're not attempting that, but there are lots of players around the league that are upset about this as well and would like to see some heavier consequences for it. Indians pitcher Mike Clevenger made a great point in a video that was posted online where he said that, you know, there are players that worked really hard to work their way up to the majors and they may have gotten their one shot in a game against one of these teams And those teams were cheating against them and it made them look bad. And then that was it. That was their one shot and it's gone. And so there's, you know, millions of dollars of potential earnings that's gone away because the other team cheated against them. Mm -hmm. And as a fan, that that's really appalling as a fan of a team that that already doesn't have the resources that the Astros, the Red Sox do to know that those teams were cheating against my team. It's just it's it takes away a lot of the enjoyment from the sport to know that it is such an unfair playing field. And that's uh, it's very disappointing. And it has me looking less forward to the uh, upcoming season there. Oh, I feel it. So thankfully, we got hockey. (laughs) There's no cheating there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my final thought is about an article that came out on Monday. It was a Greg Wyshynski joint about. What would happen if you change the standings system? And the the crux of the article was the 3-2-1 point system where you get three points for a regulation win, two points for a win, and one point for the overtime loss or shootout. And uh, they went through a couple different variations with the the 3-2-1 and then no points for overtime losses and no loser points. And it was really cool to see that the Jackets were right there in all of them. It made me think about the past couple of games where they've won all these games in regulation and and games that very could have easily gone the other way with with the very close game against Carolina on Thursday where Nick Foligno scores super late to to seal it. And then with Bjorkstrand scoring twice in the third period, uh, including super late to to win that game. And right now it doesn't, you know, it it matters because that right now is a tiebreaker with Philadelphia as we record this episode. But 
I'm in favor of getting of changing it around. And it's also interesting to see that it doesn't make too too much of a difference. There there is some movement, and of course we're talking about the playoffs, so that's everything. Even a flip flop means a ton, but it's not massive sea change in most of these scenarios. But it's neat to see that the the Blue Jackets are are, are right there. It's not voodoo and it's not winning with all of these overtime games and and you know the way it was in, in the past where where you have this elite unit of of 3v3 that the jackets are able to ice out there and win these games they're 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 winning them and in the past week winning them in regulation now we know the underlying numbers may not be so hot with with like what pd was talking about but i just think it's neat to, to be like oh yeah yeah my favorite team they're pretty good they're <laughs> they're, they're up there they're, they're making a push to the playoffs so anyway that was on espn uh, dot com on Monday. I, I would. I, I've I've been saying for years that we need to go to that three two one system, mm. just so that every game is worth the same amount of points. Yes, it's not fair that some NHL games are worth two points in the standings and some are worth three points. So I'd I'd like it to go to that three two one system. Amen. Or we could just do ties. I know how much people love ties. They love them so no, much. No, <laughs> no, no. I, I also I also think that the if. A regulation win was worth more than an overtime win that we would see more exciting play late in the game. Definitely. You wouldn't see teams just laying back like, all right, let's just get to overtime. Let's get the point. Mm -hmm. No. Go all out. Try to get that three point, especially late in the season when, as you said, every extra point could matter. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Monsters games would end in regulation because I see a lot of teams that they play even will be like, well, let's just get to OT because they have a shortened bench. So they're not going to be able to keep up with us. I think they would have ended a lot of differently because, well, we probably would have lost them in regulation, but they would have ended differently. <laughs> no, I agree. We got to change it up somehow. I don't like the current system. But anyway, that is a discussion for another time because we are out of time as it is. Our theme music is Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Angela is currently on tour with Camp. She's wrapping that up, and she will be doing some shows around Ohio pretty soon. So check out more information about her and her tour schedule at AngelaPurley.com. Rate us, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to us. And as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at CBJCannon, and of course, follow along with us and join the conversation at JacketsCannon.com. From all of us at the Cannon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>